All right, welcome to True Script Tuesday. I am your host, David Harris. Uh, we have the pleasure today of talking to Pastor Danny Steinmeier, who is a pastor out in Middleton, Iowa. Uh, not Iowa, Idaho. I'm sorry about that. That is a serious mistake to make. Idaho. <laughs> Very different place than Iowa. Um, a little bit. A lot more Mormons. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, Pastor, sorry, Pastor, um, Pastor, Dan, do you prefer Pastor Danny or Pastor Daniel or Pastor Steinmark? What do you prefer? Pastor Danny's work works just great. Awesome. So Pastor Danny wrote an article about um, the uh, Alistair Begg controversy, what's quickly becoming the Alistair Begg debacle uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's called Begging Pastor Begg. You can get it on the website. You can also listen to it on your favorite streaming platform. Uh, or on our YouTube channel. So there's a bunch of ways that you can get the article. Uh, but I just wanted to have a conversation sort of about uh, maybe some of the things that um, that you didn't address or maybe go deeper into some some specific areas. Um, but um, the the title here, Begging Pastor Beg, I thought was really good. I mean, Beg, there's been a lot of opportunity to, to sort of <laughs> do wordplay on <laughs> Alistair Begg's name. But um, you made it. You made this article very personal at the end, which I kind of wasn't expecting. So when I read it for the first time, um, I kind of realized I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that uh, particular moment." The the one that you mentioned, um, I think it was at a Gospel Coalition conference when he preached that sermon. Uh, that was uh, the theme was the man on the middle cross said, "I could come." So I guess sort of to start. Could, could you talk maybe a little bit about how Alistair Begg has affected your life and your ministry? Sure. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, uh, really just the, the radio ministry is really the only real touch point I've, I've had for the most part throughout the years with Pastor Begg's ministry. Um, he's certainly been well known as a, a faithful expositor, having uh, just a Calvinistic approach to the doctrines of grace, you know, the gospel, all these things. Uh, he's been just well known in that regard. Um, but as far as being real close to his ministry, I really haven't been. You know, I certainly grew up in um, my college and seminary days and so forth. Uh, you know, I was at the master's college. I also went to the master's seminary. I went to Grace Community Church. So I was more tied in with the MacArthur um, line. And interestingly, it, it was it was a little bit noticeable that the MacArthur beg uh, paths didn't cross a ton. You know, Beg wasn't a, a guest at Shepherd's Conference. I had heard that he had been, I think, um, prior to the revamp, I think in 2000 of mm -hmm. Shepherd's Conference, but I had gone every year from, from 2000 to 2011 and he had never come. Um, we um, so just didn't have a ton of of cross-pollination with his ministry, just knowing that he was a, a faithful, another faithful voice on the radio that um, was clear in its fidelity and exposition of scripture. Uh, but as you know, you already mentioned that one, you know, video clip of the just uh, emotional, even telling of that, that story of, of the thief on the cross and what that would have, you know, so, sort of been like, it's sort of a, an imaginary, imaginary uh, telling of what that would have potentially looked like. But I can't I can't even watch that video without getting emotional. It, it is one of those powerful moments of of preaching that really grabs you because it really gets to the heart of the gospel, our unworthiness and 
the all sufficiency of Christ. And it's all about, um, it's all about his grace towards us. And here's a man who was, you know, so unlearned in terms of, you know, um, religious education. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't trained. You know, he, his first interaction appears to be with Jesus on the cross and he's converted on the, all on the cross. I think the, the idea there was that he was, he was cursing with the other thief and at one some point there he was he switched and and recognized and acknowledged he had some knowledge about Jesus I think that's clear but uh, he switched and and became uh, one who defended Christ and so we we see his conversion there and then the remarkable he's always used as one you know he wasn't baptized he didn't go to church um, all didn't know the doctrine of justification but ultimately because Christ loved him that's why he was accepted and so it was one of those most powerful my interactions and, and um, things that I've, I've appreciated about Beg over the years was certainly that message. So that was the, the big crux that drew my attention. Yeah, I I remembered that message. I, I remember I, I felt a tear come into my eye. Just sort of it's so, such a powerful illustration. And obviously that passage is like there's so many, you know, grace alone by faith alone. Uh, there's so many theological conversations you could get into, and um, it's like well. The, thief on the cross, you know, are you justified by being baptized? Well, the thief on the cross, you know, it's one That's of those right. passages that just hits so hard. Um, and has, there's just, it's so meaningful. It has so much, um, so much to say about theology in general. Uh, I mean, so I grew up in the master's seminary, Grace Community Church orbit. My dad's a graduate. Uh, my grandparents lived about a half mile from that church. Um, I've never been to Alistair Begg's church. I, I remember the first time I was exposed to him, uh, I I think I was in my sort of teenage years of angst, and my mom really likes to listen to Alistair Begg. So she got a, I don't remember if it was a cassette series or a CD. I think it was a CD set. It was like a few discs. And it was a series on anxiety and a worry. And that was a bit of a worry work. So uh, I listened to that, and it really, really helped me. And, you know, I listened to him off and on over the years, I didn't, you didn't usually see him in the, um, the Shepherds Conference um, T4G, I guess, circles a whole lot. A lot of the time he would be at Calvary Chapel. I remember seeing him because he was always on the bridge radio in New York where I grew up. Uh, he would always be on, I think it was at like 8 p.m. Uh, and then the only other time is I saw him at a Gettys con- uh, concert at Carnegie Hall. So they had him, him come in and sort of do a gospel presentation uh, during this this conference. Um, but he wasn't, he was one of those, those, I guess, preachers that I, I kind of always thought of, Oh yeah, you know, he's Orthodox. He's good. He's, he's kind of over here on the side. I don't listen to him intently, but whenever I do, it seems like he has really good things to say. Um, uh, so I guess that kind of brings us into my second question. So he's been, he's been very quiet about, um, like significant cultural events and, uh, movements that have gone on over the last couple of years and whether it was COVID and I looked into this, I, I kind of tried to see like, did he say anything about, about COVID during the whole, the whole ordeal? Did he say anything about um, uh, post 2015 after Ogerberg, Ogerberg, thank you. Well, that was perfect. <laughs> it must be because you're German Steinmeier. That's why um, <laughs> during that decision, he never, he didn't really have a lot to say. And I kind of wanted to connect this because you wrote another article um, for TruthScript over the summer called Why Expository Preaching or Expository Preaching Does Not 
necessarily mean good preaching. So just because it's expository does not mean that it's good. And I, I wonder if this may be a case of that where, where, well, he's an expositor. He's, he's, he's exegeting the text, but he's not necessarily paying attention to things sometimes that are right in front of him that are affecting the church. Um, do you, is there a connection there? Well, it's certainly possible. The challenge we have is there is the online or the radio type ministry, and then there is the, his, his church, right? So he is a pastor. What we don't have a ton of detail on, certainly the, the online ministry, the radio ministry, you know, the books, those things do come from his preaching, you know, ministry, like many pastors have. But the idea here would be that we don't exactly know all the things that happened at their church. Now, um, you know, I've heard some things about maybe they were, were relatively go along with the flow during COVID, you know, things like that. So it, it's hard to say completely, but you're right. He certainly isn't one that we found have found often sticking his neck out in areas where um, they are, um, where you're going to catch some heat, where you might catch it in the neck. And uh, so, yeah, his name doesn't end up being out there with much in the sense of controversy uh, standing uh, with other brothers in arms. And, you know, you didn't hear anything about defending John, John MacArthur, different things like that. You just didn't hear it. And so it's certainly possible that it, with the ministry and, and his philosophy very well could be where he, he hasn't been one who um, who sticks his neck out in those cultural moments that are that are really needed and to address those things. Uh, but it's it's hard to make any absolute statement on that because we're, I'm not really you know part of that part of his church orbit. Um, but just speaking principally and generally, I don't think pastors just do have the luxury of just keeping your head down. Um, one of the things reasons I've been tr trying to be vocal about this is because I want my flock to hear from me on the issues, uh, on the issues that are important. Um, th there's been a lot of good people that have said a lot of I think good things, helpful things online, for instance, about this Pastor Bay controversy. But I wanted my people to make sure that they were hearing from their pastor on the issue and then it, and then putting it out there publicly uh, for that uh, to be helpful to others as well. So I, I do think that issue of just staying with the next text of of just being supposedly this expositor, it can be that which keeps you safe. It, it keeps you from having to be controversial to, to addressing those um, those hot button things where because where a pastor catches it is when it gets practical, when it begins to be, become applicational. Well, this scripture, this principle from the word of God would then need to be fleshed out in particular ways. There's going to be an, an actual application that either meets or doesn't meet the the, the text, the command, the principle. And it turns out that that's actually where people get offended and people. And, and in this case, he did apply the what what he believed to be. And, if, and then he's catching it. He, he's catching some heat. So that is just part of what is to be expected and part of the responsibility of a shepherd to be out in front and to catch the, the flack. Um, but you have to be biblical. You have to um, you have to take a stand and um, certainly, you know, his absence or what seems to be silence in a lot of different areas could be something that it, that shows that he landed in the wrong place because um, maybe he isn't everything that we you know, kind of maybe thought he might be.
Yeah, and the, I guess the surprising thing for him because he hadn't really addressed he hadn't really addressed this issue too much. Um, it comes as a shock and a surprise. In a, I, I, I had a lot of deja vu to be honest because I remember in 2018, if you remember, like the MLK 50 conference and then T4G conference that year, and I didn't attend any of these, but you know I listened to some of the sermons later on, and I just remember being floored, just confused. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the same rhetoric in these sermons that I heard at my, like, the liberal community college that I went to uh, just a little bit before. So um, it sort of was a was a world shifting moment. And then like that, that time that Phil Johnson was on stage with, um, uh, I forget everybody who was there, but that very awkward uh, Q&A discussion was sort of, that's when you started to see kind of a, a bigger divide happening. Um, uh, but I, that the conversations were going on and it became obvious, but somebody like Alistair Begg was able to sort of kind of sail through and avoid it. Um, I thought it was really, really interesting. I, um, and you didn't address this specifically in, in the article, um, but I would be curious to kind of hear your thoughts on it. Uh, one of the things that he did when he sort of made his, um, uh, when he doubled down. So at the evening service that they had at the church, when he doubled down, on his statement and said, I don't have any reason to repent of this. I have no reason to change what I said. You know, basically saying, I'm not sorry, but I, I believe what I said, um, which at least he's honest. Um, but what he, the justification or one of the primary justifications that he brought up was, well, essentially I'm a Brit. So <laughs> I'm, you know, um, I'm much more in line. I've lived here for 40 years, and but I'm much more in line with the, and he mentioned several names, I think Sinclair Ferguson and John Stott, with uh, British, you know, UK evangelicalism, than I am with American fundamentalism, which to me just sounded like a very, I mean, he said it very sort of calmly, and he just said it, but I'm like, that's that's kind of a little bit of a snooty thing to say. You're saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm British. You know, you you American guys. You did you did you catch that at all? Am I am I reading that wrong or? Oh, absolutely, I did. Yes, um, my concern was, you know, look when when he came out and said what he said. I think it was poor advice. I think it was misguided. I think it, it was it was wrong. The everybody can say something that is incorrect, that is wrong, maybe hasn't all the way thought through. And we can be open to being corrected. And he, he certainly took this to be, you know, he called it a, a tempest in a teacup. And it was just, it, he chalked it up to online trolls and seemed to identify his critics as simply being a, a group of fundamentalist type Pharisees. And of course, he's been separated, he, you know, trying to separate himself from that. But in his, you know, in his self-defense message on that evening um, sermon, you know, he's using the, the story of the prodigal son. He's identifying that the it's the pharisaical um, older brother that didn't have compassion, that, that wouldn't be contaminated. He kept using the word contaminated. And and so then it's really was about him turning his rhetorical guns on his critics to paint those who disagreed with him as if they were fundamentalist, separatist, you know, pharisaical people that didn't that lacked compassion for lost sinners like transgender people. And so that that was a, a major concern because it was um, it was 
just simply defensive. It actually became offensive. Um, he really went to uh, an attack mode to fire back at his critics as being uh, those who lacked compassion, legalistic, um, even used the sort of the, the left um, play uh, from the left leftist playbook. You know, if you're preaching hard, if your, your pastor is preaching hard against a particular sin, it's likely that he is guilty of it himself. He's 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 throwing smoke by his <laughs> by his a fervent opposition to a particular sin because he's actually doing it. Mm. Um, and that was a, again, that, that was a very significant generalization and attack on pastors who preach against particular sins. It's certainly, it's certainly possible that that can be something that, um, that is harbored in the life of a pastor, but that, um, that, that was a jab, right? And, and I thought, I found that he was swinging back. And that's the part that's most concerning is that he wasn't softening. He was bristling. Um, he was getting harder and he wasn't, he wasn't really receiving what was, I think, fair criticism. And it's not, David, it's not that hard to actually um, understand the right approach to a trans wedding. Uh, most people generally yeah. do get it, right? So to see him harden and act like those who were being critical of his counsel were just uncompassionate, unloving Pharisees who harbored the same desires in their own heart. Um, that, that was that was definitely problematic. So, him trying to separate himself as Mister Compassion and all of his critics are um, Pharisees and fundamentalists, um, as if he doesn't he doesn't understand them because he's always been separated. Yeah. Right? Even though for forty years he's been in yeah. he's, he's been an American, <laughs> he's a U.S. citizen. So. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, yeah, I think that's, I, I was disappointed to see him um, fight back and punch back at that. Yeah. Um, so then let's have you put your pastor cap on uh, a little bit and maybe get into that, get the, get into his argument specifically and why, wh why is this worth, um, you know, he's not, he was, I don't know if disinvited is the right word. He's not going to be at Shepherd's Conference. I believe he's not going to be at a Ligonier event. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not hundred percent, but um, he, the, the largest carrier of his radio program is no longer carrying him. So he did get some cancellation, if you want to call it that. There has been some cost to what he said. Um, I, I would tend to think that uh there, there is cost with the fundamentalist as he's characterizing it, the fundamentalists who are being unloving, right? They're the ones who, but there, there are plenty of other, <laughs> there's a wide swath of evangelicalism that will very gladly welcome him with open arms. So I guess just getting into the specifics of what he did say. Um, so you wrote to attend a wedding is to be an active participant with the two parties covenanting together a wedding is a celebration and the giving of hearty approval. So, Pastor Danny, why can you not attend a wedding without uh, some degree of approval? Don't don't we attend weddings all the time, or maybe we don't quite think that she should be with him or he should be with her? Maybe you know, aren't we thinking that? Why is this different? Um, well, it is. Uh, it isn't really different. Um, to, when you are attending a wedding. You are you are an invited guest. You are there as a witness. Um, it is not it, it, it is not, for instance, appropriate. It's not a it's not a marriage. It's not a wedding 
when two people go off into the woods and share vows with each other. Not married. Uh, you, you, you do require witnesses to that, to that covenant. And so, uh, when you go, when you attend a wedding, you are a participant because you are a witness. You're also there in support. And that's why, uh, even in those older forms of, of liturgy, of, of wedding liturgy, you had the, the op opportunity given to you. Hey, if there is someone who objects to this union, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. I mean, that's sort of a, a phrase that is used in other contexts as well. Speak now, forever hold your peace because we're about to do this. And so uh, it, it did leave open the opportunity for someone who was there in objection to actually object. Because if you're not right. objecting, you are in support. And so, uh, and even Pastor Beg identified and bring a gift, right? There was the, that element of, of additional support uh, for, that, for that thing. So you can't, you can't avoid... The reality that that attending a wedding um, is is to be in support. Now, I I want to be clear too. I think there's a lot more weddings we shouldn't go to as Christians. As a for instance, a believer marrying a non-believer. When you know that that is it, that is the case, you know that a person is a, is a professing believer. They're marrying someone who is a professing unbeliever. Mm -hmm. You can't go to that wedding. That's a heterosexual wedding. That's an actual marriage. Uh, homosexual marriage isn't real marriage, but it's still I talked about that in the, I think in the article as well, mm -hmm. it still yeah. is a celebration. It's still a solemn moment. It is actually an affront to God's design, but it is a ceremony wherein a union and a covenant is being made. And so um, the, the idea of going and just being a silent objector is there's no such thing. You are an, a, an overt vocal objector, or you are an active participant witnessing it with support. Um, and that's the, that's the part where I think a lot of people are dismayed because do we really think that Beg doesn't know that or understand that? Um, and, but he seems to have this sort of idea that you could separate it. He, he tried to caveat it with, does your grandchild know where you stand? Does your grandchild know that you're a Christian, that you object to homosexuality and, and same-sex marriage and transgenderism? Does your, does your grandchild then if they, as long as they already know that, then you can go. And I said, it, I didn't say it in the article because it came to me really a little bit later. So I said it in my podcast um, that I recorded last week. And that is, what do you, what do you call it if the grandmother goes to the wedding after, even though the grandchild knows where you stood, you call that repentance. You've had a change of mind. You've had a change of action. You've turned from opposing and you've, and you attend, when you attend the wedding, you're then being there as one who is in support. It absolutely is, is a move of repentance. So that's, um, th that's why, you know, you just can't go and act like I'm going to hold on to my objection and be there at the same time. You can't now you, oh, to have some reservation or be like, ah, I don't give this, you know, I don't give this wedding, <laughs> this marriage six months, you know, uh, that, 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 that might be a little bit of a different thing, but, but the idea of I'm in support of this wedding, you can't escape that by being in attendance. Okay. But Jesus, you know, he, Jesus hung out with tax gatherers and sinners. So. I, I've heard that. Yeah. Doesn't that mean, doesn't that mean that you can go to a gay wedding? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. It that does not mean that. Um, that is, that's where big seem to be, you know, trying to, um, 
make an association of those things because that he, in the passage that he chose in Luke, uh, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were upset with Jesus because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so then he tells those, tells those stories. And the, the crux of that issue is um, when Jesus was meeting with, was eating with tax collectors and sinners, one, uh, he was, um, he was the guest wherein they were wanting to hear from him. He was, he was, they wanted to hear a rap, the rabbi. They wanted to see him perform uh, certain signs or whatever. He, he was, he was the one who was given the floor in those situations. Additionally, he was never in approval just, just because they're a human being and you're in their presence doesn't mean you're approving of their lifestyle. A wedding is a ceremony, a sacred ceremony wherein a covenant is being entered into, uh, regardless of if it's a real marriage. Again, homosexual marriage is not a thing. It's not a marriage, um, but it is a ceremony and it is a, a form of a covenant. And and so to, it's a big difference between having uh, lunch with a fellow sinner and uh, giving them approval of that especially when you have the opportunity to speak the truth um, in, into that situation. So it's not the same. Additionally, the point of the parable of the prodigal son is that the son repented and the celebration was about one who had repented. And, um, and so the Pharisees were ones who were not loving of sinners coming to repentance. They, they were not rejoicing with the angels in heaven when one was found. Jesus was out there finding sinners and bringing them to repentance and to faith in him. And, and so um, th there's a big difference between going and having a party with people who are engaging in a, a sinful occasion and a sinful act. Um, and for instance, having lunch with a coworker who is engaged in homosexuality. Absolutely. You can have, uh, lunch with them that is not by nature then approving of their behavior. So I, I just think that's um, it's mixing of categories that's that's not appropriate. So I guess we could maybe explore that a little bit just because it's very very relevant to everyday situations that um, we do find ourselves in. Your average layman especially finds themselves in. Um, I saw a number the other day: thirty something percent of of Gen Zers. Uh, identify as, as being some part of the LGBT community, whatever that means. So mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I've been a teacher of Gen Zers for the last decade. I can assure you that number's not real. A lot of, a good hunk of that is um, being sort of faked for attention. I think it's, it's, it's a way to stand out. Uh, it's a way to, um, and, and especially in a world where you're, your, the hierarchy, the, the power hierarchy depends on your level of oppression. So anyways, all that to say is uh, the, just like the commonality, like how common in, encountering people who um, have even gone as so far to mutilate themselves. Um, like if we're thinking like 20 years ahead, you know, especially as a pastor, we'll have to deal with like these people need the gospel too, right? These people need, um, they need redemption. They need the the love that comes from from knowing Christ. But then they also need to be able to understand how the Bible can give them hope, even for the life they have now. So I guess all that to say is, um, how 
how do we really like in a situation like that? So you're invited to a gay wedding. Um, how do you really love that person? What, what are what are the steps of of showing uh, concern for their soul? And what what I guess what does that look like in practicality? If that makes yeah, sense. That's, yeah, no, it's good. It's a good question. So one thing that we have to realize is that the totality of my caring for a person uh, does not start and end with whether or not I go to their wedding. So now you might argue and it might actually happen that in, if you refuse to go to their wedding, then then the friendship is harmed or it's cut off or something like that, then that, that can happen. But that's part of the distinction that Jesus talked about in bringing a, bringing a sword um, that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that, sword divides families. It divides family members. And so um, when you have a, a, an invitation, for instance, to a unholy ceremony, party, celebration, support um, opportunity, um, a Christian has to stand on the truth and, and, um, and ob- object and to refuse to participate. Or again, you can go to that wedding if you're going to be an active objector. It's just going to bring down a lot more uh, uh, difficulty on your head in terms of the response. But um, but so the totality of the relationship isn't isn't settled on that one issue. Uh, compassion really is love and sorrow coming together. You you really uh, are sorrowful for their condition, for their sin, and the way you would would love them would be, uh, of course, include telling them the truth. And part of the gospel, uh, whether it's whether we're talking about the the gross sins of homosexuality, transgenderism, or whether we're talking about heterosexual, you know, sins that um, are, are also prevalent. The God, there is no gospel without the preaching of sin and calling people to recognize that it is their sin, their affront to God that condemns them before Him, and that's. It, that's what then brings the good news is first an acknowledgement and recognition of the condition because of the bad news. So uh, in terms of loving someone, you do have to, you do have to tell them the truth. There's going to be a, a um, reasonably a measure of distance between people. If you can't agree upon what is right and wrong and what is, and what is truth. And so when the Christian has the truth of God's word, um, then there's going to be a, um, Love is going to often look like, um, to some people, it's going to look like hatred. It's going to look like division and separation. But the truth is always going to be uh, that which is loving. We want to do so in a loving, you know, compassionate way. But that is um, that that can't include acceptance. It can include. It cannot include ce- um, celebration, and uh, but it can include relationship, care, um, looking out for physical needs. Um, all those types of things. There's there's other ways to show love and compassion to someone without uh, the empathy of getting in the muck with them in order to make them feel like you like you care. They might need to feel some distance and some separation, but that's also that's also loving. Yeah, we li- we live in a time of of faux compassion. What is everything yeah. sort of twisted and turned around and upside down and right? I'd like to touch on that a little bit too, Dave, if you don't mind, just for a mm-hmm. second, because sure. um, one of the things I felt that Pastor Big uh, didn't seem to be able to do. I, I use sometimes the phrase, "You got to be able to walk and chew gum at the t- same time." Mm-hmm. You and he seems to pit compassion against the doctrine of separation. We have to actually understand this. Maybe this is something that is lacking right now in some 
evangelical teaching because we we're so afraid of the old fundamentalism, second, third, fourth degrees of separation. Um, but the doctrine of separation, I really see it in three primary ways. I do, did talk about this on my podcast, but really the doctrine of separation first starts in our hearts. First John 2, 15 and 17, we are not to love the world. The love of the world is not to be in our hearts. We're supposed to be separated from the world at the heart level. We need to love the things of God um, and not love the things, the systems of the world. And then the second part of the doctrine of separation goes to the separation from worldly entanglements, un being unequally yoked. That looks to things like business. That looks to things like marriage. There's partnerships. And he talks about you know the idea of partnership um, with sin. We are the temple of the living God. Uh, we, we don't have, we, we ought not to be yoking that temple with unholy uh, allegiances and, and yokes where we are bound together with unbelievers. And then the third part of the doctrine of separation is um, that we are to be separated from unrepentant sin in our, in, our, in our midst, in our families, and in our churches. That's where church discipline comes in. There is a proper place for separation and um, and there is it, within those fears, within those structures, we know that there's separation from those who are unrepentant in in crimes that are separated from society. There are those in our churches that have to be we have to separate from because they're unrepentant in sin and not yielding to counsel and authority and God's word. And then you, even in, in the sphere of the family as well, there is the whole prodigal son story that he uses as his defense. The, the prodigal left was had to be separated because he had the love of the world in his heart and he knew he couldn't live that way under the roof of his father. He would not be not be allowed. And so um, those and then to pit that against compassion. Well, the compassion would look like going to the wedding so that you would surprise them by your presence. Um, uh, there's a there's just a problem there. It was a mixing um, of or a, a failure to recognize that the Bible does call us to a certain level of separation. And, uh, and he, he really blurred that line because he was emphasizing compassion from a grandfatherly heart. And that was, um, that was, that was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems like a symptom of a, uh, the issue that I thought of immediately, mostly because it's the one that's most pertinent to my, my current like day job. Um, uh, was that of illegal immigration because the whole entire narrative of having a border open, having people just pour into the country on the Christian side has the rhetoric is essentially the same. It's it's this mm. is the compassionate thing to do. But then you don't take into account things like if these people like, for example, if these people are, um, you know, if they're going to be such a blessing to us, then why are we cursing the countries they came from? Like, <laughs> so we really don't care about wherever they came from. And then uh, what are they going to go through on the way? And like, but we have this, you know, very simple, we can, if we could just kind of say like, well, you know, Jesus ate with tax gatherers and sinners for this instant, well, or we'll kind of get like a fortune cookie like phrase and then mm -hmm. make a, a massive generalization. As if the border is by, is by nature uncompassionate, right? You have to have an open border to be compassionate. A closed border border is compassionate. No, that's not true. And this goes back to what I'm talking about in relationship to the doctrine of separation. It goes to the idea of even church discipline or family discipline, because one of the things I talked about in my podcast too, is see when you, when you discipline someone, church go through church discipline to the point where you put someone else, put someone out of the church. It is loving towards them because you want them to come to the end of themselves so that they might uh, repent and be returned just like the prodigal. But you're also loving the other people 
in your household or in the terms of a nation, a closed border means you love the people that are in your house, that are in your, in your country. Mm-hmm. And so when you, um, when, when this grandma, for instance, goes to a transgender wedding, perhaps she has other children and grandchildren that would also see her softness towards sin, her acceptance of it. It's actually very unloving to the rest of her grandchildren. Mm. Um, it's unloving for the nation to open its border um, because it's unloving to its own people. It is uh, it is lacking. It, it it might look like compassion to the to the border jumpers. It is not compassion to those who are in your house right. who are paying the taxes, who have to deal with the 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 um, outflow and the consequences of all those things. And so we we sometimes miss out that. Church discipline, as a for instance, is not just for the person involved in the sin. It's also for the rest of the congregation. The rest of the congregation is to be warned that separation is a serious matter and that this person's soul is at risk. And if and if you give approval, if you blur that line and don't hold on with conviction to your um, to your position and you go soft t- towards the person who is in unrepentant sin, you are. Um, you are not loving well the people who are in obedience, who are under your care, um, who also need to know what the truth is and what the standard is, uh, you know, lest they fall also. And and so th- those are those are things that are that Beg didn't seem to really uh, appreciate. You know, so I guess I guess sort of to wrap things up because uh, you're talking about separation. So the other separation that's gone on is there's been separation now with Alistair Beg you know, with ministries and then just, you know, like for me personally, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to tune into the, to the broadcast. I mean, I hadn't really been, I guess, consistently, but now I will probably not do so even more because I'm just going to mentally be like, Oh, well, you know, he's kind of compromised on that. So why? So there is a, there's a, just by his decision to double down on this, there's now a separation that's happened within the body of Christ specifically. So, um, is is this is this an example of cancel culture? Is this Christian cancel culture? That's what I've that's what I've seen. I've had a few conversations about this. I've seen this sort of uh, around the the social media sphere. Um, is is this an example of you know? Oh, we just can't get along. We're being mean. Um, how does or is this sort of a type of church discipline? I think it's a good question, and it's been a concern of mine too. So. First of all, let's just take, I don't think they're all the same. So first off, the Shepherds Conference, um, it's a it's an event. It's a one-time thing. Um, I think the timing of it is an issue. And I think that if he had gone, he would have needed to address the elephant in the room. Like he would have needed to address the controversy. You saw my meme. Uh, I didn't circulate it out there, but I, I, I made a meme, of course, of, of Phil Johnson and the famous one, I think it was from 2018, 2019, um, I think it was 2018, when... You know, he asked the question of the panel, which was Al Mohler, Mark Dever and Ligon Duncan. Those are the three main guys. And um, and it was, do you, you know, do you not see? And there was sort of this um, a little bit of an of an air of, hey, you know, a little bit of a confrontation, I guess, on the stage and publicly in front of everybody. And that sort of thing was going to have to happen again. You, you, you could not have ignored it. And so they did what they kind of needed to do. If that wasn't going to happen and, and Alistair wasn't softening and you know, wasn't going to make a be able to make a, a joke of it because he had kind of turned back. 
um, then it was going to have to be canceled. So I don't think that was um, an example of cancel culture. I, I think there was a necessary element there that, that needed to take place. In terms of the American Family Radio, that's a tougher one for me um, because I, I don't think that we're at the point. I think we do have to be careful of the um, um, the degrees of separation. I think we can disagree with Alistair Begg. I, I think we need to be careful of making the worst thing that someone has said the one thing that anybody can point to that right, he has yeah. that he has said and making that the the one thing that he is known for that we can never listen to him again. I, I think that's problematic also. I think we do need to. Um, so I'm going to go in a couple different directions. One, American Family Radio, uh, I I applaud them for having some conviction and some in a, in a good position to recognizing what time it is and what the cultural battle is. Um, I don't know that I would have made that decision just to drop him. I think you, I would probably prefer to put out a statement. We disagree with this, and then we think this is a significant error. But uh, again, I don't. I don't think this is um, necessarily something where Alistair Begg uh, should never be heard from again in that regard. I, I think when it, I, I like, I want to go to the church level. If I'm at Alistair Begg's church, uh, I also would probably say. I mean, unless there's a lot of other things that are leading up to this, a lot of other errors and and false teaching and bad counsel. I think it's um, I think it's a warning sign, but I, it's still not something to leave the church over. I, I do think that this is again, that becomes an issue of disagreement. Look, I wouldn't give that advice. I think he gave wrong advice. It's not saying he went to the wedding. It's not saying that he approves of gay marriage or transgenderism. Uh, I, I think it's, I think he's, uh, I think it's a cautionary element. I, in my, I said in my article, I, I'm more concerned for, um, is this going to lead to a greater slide that could be more problematic? I, I don't think we've crossed over the, the line of, um, this is a false teacher. Uh, this is someone to be avoided and he has, and we shouldn't listen to, we should be suspect of everything he, he, he has ever said before or anything like that. Um, so I do think we do have to be careful. The idea of cancel culture is you've done something wrong once, regardless of whether or not you repented or not. And we're, because you've you've uh, you were you are blackface, you said the N word or whatever, yeah. you can never be forgiven. Um, I, I think we need to have a, a spirit and a heart of forgiveness towards him. Be, and I think we want to be praying for him and, and seeking the Lord to preserve him and protect him and to keep him from a, a greater fall. I don't think we're there yet. I think this is the first chink in the armor that says um, th there might be some warning signs. You brought up already. Hey, there's you were he's been silent in a lot of things where maybe he should have been more vocal. Well, it's some circumstantial evidence, but it's again nothing that says um, at this point that he's sold the farm. Um, but it certainly gives us pause. It gives us concern, and um, and he's going to have to take responsibility for that. This is one of those things, David, where he stuck his neck out. He didn't realize he was sticking his neck out. He thought he was, he thought he was just in the mainstream, but he did stick his neck out. And this is sometimes what happens when you do take a stand. And unfortunately he took the wrong one in this, in this case. And uh, so he's going to have to bear some consequences. I don't think it's worth leaving the church over. And I think we should be careful about just writing him off. Um, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to see him softened as opposed to fighting because then the concern is, are there going to be people who are going to praise him and butter him up and, treat him like he's their ally. And, and so he starts to move 
and, and rub shoulders on, on a more left leaning way. Yeah. Um, that is, that is a concern where it could go if, if he, uh, if he isn't careful. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of my first thoughts, I try not to be too cynical, but one of my first thoughts is, well, I guess it'll be headlining TGC this year or something like that. So like there, there are, there are plenty of venues that would probably be, be happy to confirm him in, in what he's saying. And, and the, if that becomes his trajectory, which is why I think it's important what you wrote it here at the end, we need to have a real compassion for him and hope that he will not have the compromise, have, have this compromise as a lasting legacy, which does become the danger when you get remembered for that one thing that you didn't do right, which isn't really fair. You know, that would be like taking, yep. you know, uh, King David, I guess is usually the good example. You, you could pick any one of his, you know, massive foibles and then paint his entire character. Yet he still is a guy that's, you know, a man after God's own heart. So, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're complex. We're not the same all throughout our lives. And then there's times that I was just thinking too, like, some men are made for times like these and God gives some men roles for particular time periods. Um, and there's, um, you know, there's, there's not that we're in a, a war, but there's wartime leaders and there's peacetime leaders and they're not the same. They're, they're, uh, um, they're usually different personality wise and they're different um, just in their ability to uh, be able to, to take stands that are unpopular and take the flack and take the, uh, um, you know, the slings and arrows. Um, so, well, thanks very much for, for your article. Do you have any closing thoughts? Um, no, I think that's, I mean, it covers it. I just think that we, um, I'll, I'll close where I kind of close the article. Yeah. I, I think it is that element of, of, I think you make some good points there right away at the end. I, I, I think it's about where he goes from here. Uh, I think what part of that point about the, David being a man after God's own heart, what is, what was that element about? It was really about when he was confronted with his sin, he repent, he was a repenter. And, um, that's the, that's what we really hoping for Alistair Begg is that, um, uh, that he would be a repenter on this subject, um, that, that the Lord would remove his blinders on this one. Um, I, I just, I think it's, it's a glaring issue, but we are concerned for him and it's for love for him. It's for appreciation for what he's meant. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to just discard that and disrespect that. Um, he's wrong. We call it out. And then we we hope for the best and we want to see him uh, finish well. You know, he's had a long, faithful ministry of, of preaching and uh, fidelity to God's word. I think that's undeniable. Now we want to see him finish well. And uh, that's our hope. Absolutely. So we continue to pray for him and just pray that God would soften his heart on this. And he would, because uh, if, if he if he bounces back, he will have the... That would be a, that would be an amazing, wonderful, wonderful thing to see. And as we've seen with other examples, even lately, when somebody comes, I mean, Rosera Butterfield is the one that comes to mind for me. She when when she said, you know what, I was wrong. I mean, she was embraced. You're embraced. Like this is this is the Christian. You know, this is what it means to be a Christian. Forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's if you are never too far, and if you if you decide you're wrong and you repent, then we welcome you with more than open arms. You know, um, so that's a yeah, very good point. Well, thanks for coming on. Just a reminder, you can hear, uh, if you want to hear uh, about double this length, you can go to Pastor Danny's uh, podcast. He has a podcast called It's Time for Truth. Um, where can people find that? So you can find that uh, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, those are, are ways you can find us. Uh, it's a ministry of our local church, and we extend, it's for our people of our church. But uh, if everyone else uh, listens as well, I believe they'll 
they'll be blessed as well by the content. So our aim is to uh, glorify the Lord and what we do. So it's time for truth is out there on those major platforms. Excellent. And so is this podcast, you can find it on YouTube or on your major pod- podcast streaming platform. And if you would like to write for truth script, go to the page, go to the bottom, click publish, and you, uh, you can submit an article. True script is a 501 C three organization. Uh, if you would like to donate, we'd be very grateful for that. Have a great evening and God bless. Mm-hmm.